Awesome. All right. Well, uh, there are a few announcements there this morning. Now I want to get into the Word. And who here is ready for the Word? Okay, good. All right. So uh, if you saw on social media, we let you know that we're going into a teaching series. So we're going to do this Sunday and we're going to do next Sunday. Uh, then the following Sunday... Uh, we've got Sandy Freed is going to be speaking, our guest speaker from the U.S. is going to be speaking also here at church. So we'll take a rest from the teaching series, and then the following two Sundays after that, we'll continue with uh, the other 90%. Now, it's interesting, um, if you haven't noticed this, or if you haven't been to Forever House uh, much before, uh, sometimes I like to make the titles creative. Has anyone noticed that? Yeah, and the reason why I like to do that is because I like to I like to mix things up, and I do like to I'll, I'll admit I like to pe- keep people guessing a little bit. Okay, uh, when I first when we first started preaching here, my title was called Faith. Everyone say Yay! Okay, that's not so creative, but over time when you start preaching a lot, you want to mix it up even personally for yourself. But what's interesting about this message is I kind of threw out a question I think la- last night. Uh, just a cheeky question, who here wants to guess what the topic is? And I, I think we had one person respond, Adam, who gave a great comment, and I loved what you said, uh, Adam, I liked it. And uh, unfortunately, the teaching series isn't about that topic, but I got inspired by your whole comment. I thought it was really meaty, and I, I'm thinking even I'm going to do a teaching series on that theme later this year. So thank you, brother. That was uh, a great comment that I read. So, uh, But I want to let you know that this teaching series is a series about a topic that I've never done a teaching series on ever in the whole life of our church and the whole time I've been a pastor. Everyone say, ooh. To the person next to you and say, this sounds mysterious. I've never, ever done a teaching series. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if I've done a whole one-off message um, on this particular topic. Uh, But it's not something that you haven't heard me talk about, but it's a teaching series that I feel is critical. And uh, what I'm going to be talking about is the other 90% is really how we steward our finances, how we actually relate to money and how we steward our finances. So first of all, what this teaching series is not going to only be about is it's not a teaching series on giving. Everyone say amen. Come on, everyone say amen. (laughs) Because I know in that moment that I said the teaching series is on our finances, I probably wasn't the most popular pastor right here, okay? But first of all, I want to uh, set this tone appropriately. I've never done a teaching series on finances before, so it's brand new for me, and we love to do balance. Secondly, it's not a series all about giving, because I don't think giving is the only thing to do with finances. Uh, In fact, I want to make sure that we don't just teach you how to do church well, and we can teach you how to give, But it's also important about how do you relate to finances and how do you manage your finances from Monday through to Sunday and how do you relate to money and how do we get victory in stewarding our finances. And so when we call it the other 90%, we know that we believe in the principle of tithing, which is tithe your 10%. And so therefore, you're supposed to do something with 10% of your finances. We get that. But that's not really what this whole series is about. Now, we might touch on it a little bit because it links to the other 90. But where we want to mainly focus is I want to talk about all the other strategies that you should be applying with the other 90%, what you should be doing to steward your finances. So if you're here sitting thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm here and he's talking about money. This pastor must be all about money. Well, first of all, let me dispute that because this is the first time in nine years that I've ever done a teaching series on finances. 
Point number one. Point number two is I've never done a whole message on money or finances in the life of this church. Point number two. And point number three, it is probably the fundamental thing that when someone wants to get to know me and they start to build trust with me, they'll knock on my door, they'll ring my phone, they'll text me, or they'll pull me aside and they'll say, Pastor Brad, I really need some advice on something. And I'll say, what is it? I'm going there thinking maybe it's relationships, maybe it's how to study the word, maybe it's about, you know, um, I really want to evangelize. And they pull me aside and they give me this look and they say, I need some wisdom to do with my finances. They're just all over the place. So can I tell you that probably one of the most dominant themes that people will come to me one-on-one and ask for advice on is their finances. And so why wouldn't I, through wisdom, want to bring a message that helps to deal with that corporately so that we can actually bring a blessing to people in terms of helping them in their financial world? You know, I find that people don't like to talk about money because a lot of times people are frustrated with their own management of their money. They feel like they're in defeat. And I think, I think a lot of times we get raised and we never really get taught. When I got raised, I never got taught by mum and dad how to actually manage my finances properly. And you're going to hear my testimony also throughout this teaching series around how I've come from such a broken place in finances and I've been able to steward finances by following the principles of the Bible to bring a complete breakthrough and a turnaround. Can I say this to you? Don't be afraid about talking about money and about inviting God into the conversation because God is very interested in how you manage your finances and how you steward your finances. Who believes that? And remember, your finances is not just about giving. Let me say that as well. Because uh, I want to uh, be very transparent here, and I want to deal with any objections in your headspace that might be happening that could prevent you from receiving the teaching today. Uh, finances, and when we talk about finances, it's not just about giving. That's just a portion of what you do with your finances. It's, it's really the other 90%. Amen. So who's ready? Good. So we're going to talk about the other 90%. Now, we know in the Old and the New Testaments, there are different scriptures that relate to uh, talking to us and encouraging us what we do with the first 10%. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, there's very specific scripture. Uh, Malachi 3, 10 to 12 is one example. I'm not going to read that, but it talks about bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. We've heard that scripture before. And then we've got the New Testament version, uh, which, which is interesting. There's, there's different scriptures in the New, New Testament that refer to giving and refer to what you do with your giving. And there are specific scriptures around tithing. Uh, Particularly, what I love is the scripture in Mark that talks about the faithful giver and where Jesus is watching what people are doing with their giving. And he's observing and he's interested. Everyone say interested. So we know there's a whole side of what we do with the 10% and there seems to be, there needs to be a theme around generosity and giving when it comes to our finances. But throughout this teaching series, we're going to talk and do some teaching about the other 90%. And so... I think a lot of you would be amazed uh, how much the Bible talks about money. Has anyone noticed how much the Bible talks about money? Uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. We'll, we'll look at a couple of uh, uh, statistics a little bit later. But to set the scene, I want to start with uh, beginning with the book that is one of the greatest sources of wisdom in the world, the book of Proverbs. We're going to start there. Now, to just digress for a second when we started 2018 and we talked about you know the themes for this year and what the Lord was was doing uh, in our local church and and kind of what are the things that he wanted to 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 uh, to bring to us in terms of themes for the year and what he's what he was wanting to do and, and move through us 
one of those themes that I launched in January was wisdom. And uh, the Bible teaches that uh, the, the, the principal thing that you should chase after is wisdom. We talked about that God himself is wisdom, not that just God is wise, but he himself is wisdom. So it's about seeking God, you're seeking wisdom. When you're seeking wisdom, you're seeking God. You're seeking his principles, you're seeking his word. And you're not just seeking knowledge, but you're seeking an understanding. Uh, In all you do, says the Bible, uh, find that understanding. And that understanding is how to apply the knowledge, and that's called wisdom. And so this whole teaching series is going to leverage off the fact that I really believe that whoever you are, wherever you are, I believe that God wants to encourage us to get wiser when it comes to our finances. Because I think on the other side of that door is uh, it's more of a blessing to do with your identity. I believe that there are some people, and it's not just people sitting right here, but I believe there are many Christians around the world who actually feel quite defeated when it comes to their money. And I think actually some of them feel ashamed how their financial world uh, is, and they don't want to talk about it because there's so much stuff Uh, that's in chaos, there's so much stuff that's in debt, there's such a mismanagement, there's such a lack of stewardship, that I think there are a lot of Christians around the world that are are living in shame because they just do not feel like they have control over their financial world. And so I think that this is going to bless a lot of people. So we're going to start with Proverbs. Uh, I think we've got that on the next slide, do we? Here we go. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Uh, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Let's read that again. Let's read it all together. One, two, three. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So what what, uh, this scripture is talking about in relation to wisdom is there are different identities. Obviously, the first identity is the rich and the poor. But the second identity I want to hone in on is the borrower is the servant to the lender. And really what we're talking about, where it's borrowing versus lending, uh, we're talking about the level or capacity of stewardship. And can everyone say stewardship for me? And I want to hone in here on the word servant, because the word servant in this scripture uh, actually means, or the word translated is ebed, ebed. And that word from Proverbs which is in the Hebrew, ebed, it means servant, but it also means slave, and it means in bondage. So if we can go to the previous slide. Thanks, AV team. We'll go to the, um, the slide just before. Thank you. The rich, rule, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender, is in bondage to the lender. And so the word ebed means slave. It means bondage. If you are in debt... It means you are a slave to bondage. Now, when we go through this teaching series, we're going to talk about that there's different types of debt. Okay? Now, can I say, can I just say this to you, right? Can I, can I bring some encouragement? Who here was coming to church and they wanted a teaching on end-time revelation? <laughs> Who here came to church this morning and you wanted a teaching on the latest glory cloud and when it was going to descend upon your life? Come on now. Who wanted a teaching series on evangelism? Come on, I know we've got some evangelists here. All right, good, all right. We're going to have a teaching series on evangelism very soon, actually. Hint, hint, there we go. All right. But can I say this to you? The way you post yourself against this teaching right now is critical with where you're really at in your identity with money. Do not miss out on what God, not what Pastor Brad, come on now, 
but what God wants to do through this teaching series. See, if you're still sitting there going, he's talking about borrowing and lending. Seriously? I hate banks. Maybe you're thinking that. (laughs) Right there, if you posture yourself with that type of heart, you're actually being foolish. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ow. Wisdom says be open to being taught and maybe being taught something that you're not doing very well or maybe having a different perspective or a different angle or a different insight. So can I just say to you, can I, I won't beg you, but I want to invite you. I want to invite you, man of God. I want to invite you, woman of God, to posture yourself with humility and an open heart because I'm here, right? And I will teach this to my young daughter, Zara. I will teach this to my young daughter, Savannah. And I will teach this to my future children. I will help my grandchildren. And so if I'm going to do that with my own children, why would I want to do it with my spiritual family? Come on now. But understand this. There is a significant war zone in people's heads about talking about money in church. And I get that. And I haven't been a pastor all my life. There's been times when I've sat down as a congregational member and I've heard someone talk about money and I've thought, (sighs) but again, whenever I feel there's a moment in the atmosphere that we need to just make sure we're posturing properly, properly, I want to make sure I mention it because I want to make sure people get this today. Is that okay? Is that fair? All right. So it's talking about being a slave. Now, we're going to look a little bit later in this particular uh, part of the series, this first part, that there is different types of debt. Uh, there's, there's good debt and there's bad debt. Not that debt is great, but there is good debt uh, that you can use to help you to get you out of debt. And we'll talk about that in, uh, you know, a little bit later. But really what it's talking about here is that if your mindset is always to live off what you're borrowing, if you're always putting stuff on the credit card, if you're literally spending 120% of the 100% that you earn, and therefore you're always kind of, uh, kind of like in this cycle of debt, then that, the Bible clearly says, is bondage. It's slavery. You're always behind. You never seem to be able to catch up. And so I think it's actually wisdom to say, hey, let's call it for what it is. And the vast majority of Australians, not just Christians, but the vast majority of Australians are in financial bondage. And so we're slaves to our finances. And how do we know we're in financial bondage? Well, let's have a look at this. Uh, Have you ever felt like God was calling you to do something, but you couldn't because of money? Well, that's called bondage. If you've ever had uh, something break again, maybe the car broke again, the air conditioning broke again, the washing machine broke again, and you couldn't afford to fix it. Unfortunately, that's what the Bible calls bondage. Uh, Has anyone or anyone heard of someone who, we want to get married, but we don't have enough money? I'd love to tithe or even give some money to the poor, but I just can't afford it. We have two kids, but we want more, but we can't afford it. My wife would give anything to be at home with the kids, but we don't have a, a choice. We both have to work. Now, can I say this to you? If any of you in that situation, no one should feel shame, but we do privately feel like we're in shame at times. But we should, I'm not saying that we should be ashamed of that. But what we're saying here is that there is a, a definite need for people to wise up about finances because if we apply God's principles over season upon season, we can help to position ourselves out of bondage and get into a place where we can make uh, choices that we feel more free. Does anyone believe that? Yeah. 
Does anyone believe that? Good. The power of agreement is critical today, and I want to encourage you to speak back to me. I'm going to be looking for it. So the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, again, I know that this series is not going to make me necessarily the most uh, popular pastor in the world, but I'm going for it, and I'm doing it because I'm obeying God, okay? But I'm convinced that we need to hear what God says about money. Because I think we clearly hear what God says about money on a current affair. I think we clearly hear what God says about money on Facebook. You know, I mean, how many, you know, come to this free investment seminar and we, you know, we register for these things or get this advice, get these tips. Uh, uh, sometimes we even get advice from our boss or our, our co-workers. You know, I saw on Facebook recently the latest, some strategy, some, uh, you know, get uh, rich quick scheme and I saw all these comments and there were people going wow this just sounds so amazing blah, blah, blah. and then other people going this is a con artist and I can't believe you guys are falling, falling for it and it was quite hilarious watching these different opinions but the, the reality is there are so many voices out there who are trying to teach us what we should do with our money but yet do we go to the wiser source and that is the word of God And I think for good reason, we need to talk about money or we need to be taught about money in the right way because the average Australian, get this, this is the current statistic, 2018, the average Australian right now spends $1.22 for every dollar they earn. The average Australian spends $1.22 for every dollar they earn. So we spend 22 cents more than what we earn every single time. Right? On average. Now, you may be sitting here and go, well, that's not me. Well, that's great. That's awesome. But again, we're, we're looking at the reality here. And so someone better teach us about money. The fact is we, we've been learning about money all of our lives, but most of us have learned from the wrong source. And actually, God has a lot to say about money. 66% of parables that Jesus taught deal with money. So the majority of the parables that Jesus taught in the New Testament when he was walking the earth, when he was around the the majority of them had something to do with money. Why is that? Because he knows it's such a critical thing in people's lives. We've talked about how the Bible teaches that the love of money is what? It is the what? That's right. Not money itself, but the love of it. Meaning, when we put money as an idol, when we worship it, when we put all of our trust in it before God, it is the root of all evil. And when we talk about the root of all evil, I think evil starts with feeling that you're in bondage and therefore having to make choices because you're doing it out of fear. Come on now, that you're enslaved. And so there's, there's a critical thing to this, that if, if Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he also wanted to obviously talk about the biggest idol that would stop people from really coming into the fullness of the kingdom of God. And that is the one God, the mini God, that tries to compete with the one true God, and it's called money. Because most people, if they don't worship the one true God, who do they worship? They worship money. They love money because they put their trust in it. So that's why Jesus was so interested and so put so much emphasis on talking freely about money and finances and our heart condition towards it and how we steward it and how we manage it. Because it's one thing to say, hey, I'm really into learning how to grow in God. I'm really interested in learning how to uh, build my relationship with God. Well, right there, what are you saying? You are interested in learning how to wisely steward your relationship with Jesus. That's a good thing. Right, a high five to that, Pastor Thomas. We want people to be hungry. But if money itself, if worshipped and put trust in, is a God that competes with Jesus, 
then wouldn't Jesus want to teach us how do we properly steward our relationship with money because then it can properly support how we steward our relationship with God himself. Come on now. There is a related topic, and that's why Jesus talked about it so much. In fact, one in ten verses, one in ten verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about money. 2,300 plus, so more than 2,300 verses in all of Scripture deal with money. Five times more than prayer. Turn the person next to you and go, say what? Five times more than prayer and five times more than faith. Turn to the other person and say, say what? So if we are, if we truly are people of the Word, and the Word has so much to say about money and how we manage it, how do we get into the mess that most Australian Christians are in financially? Because we avoid talking about it. Because if we talk about it and we look at the Scriptures, it actually exposes maybe the condition of our finances. <gasps> and it exposes maybe the condition of our heart around money. And that is not a fun thing to go through. But can I tell you, I'm standing before you and I've gone through it. It's not been easy, but I've gone through it. I've had to swallow my pride. I've had to go to a church mentor and say, who worked in the bank and he was really astute about finances. And I was like an upcoming leader in my previous church. And, you know, people would say, wow, Brad, when you get up there and you preach, there's such an anointing on you. And, oh, Brad, when you get up there with the drama team and you do those big creative performances, oh, there's such an anointing. And oh, when you did that altar call last weekend and there were 20 people that got saved, oh, the presence of God. And, oh, when you prophesy, Brad, oh, man, I can see the call of God on your life. Now, that's all good. Amen, brother. Woo. But little did anyone know about the condition of my private world. Little did anyone know that I had filing cabinets of bills and loans that were breaking my back at home. And I had no idea how to, to get through that. No one knew that I was absolutely struggling with debt and my finances were out of control. And so I think in church life, we put so much emphasis, don't we, on the spiritual experience but yet we don't put enough emphasis on the private condition of what's going on in our world. And Jesus Christ knew and still knows that how we relate and how we manage and steward our finances is one of the most prominent and important areas of determining the condition of our private world. Because if we're managing our finances, can I tell you, we're doing it well, it blesses your identity because you have a sense of stewardship and a sense of victory. You have a sense of that I am... I have the ability to take dominion over the mini-God that the world calls money. Come on now. And God has called us to be a people of dominion. So am I, am I purposely trying to persuade you right now to kind of engage with this teaching series? Amen, I am. Because I know there's such a war in people's minds against this topic. God didn't send you that credit card. In a minute, we're going to talk to you about that in a second, all right? We're going to talk to you about, you prayed for finances and the credit card arrived. <laughs> Praise God, it's an answer to my prayer. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about that, brothers and sisters, in a moment. 
All right, so uh, we've, we've talked about uh, bondage, and we've talked about this, this word, that being a slave to the, to the lender. Now what I want to do is I want to start to talk about four main points as we go through this today. So we're going to have a look at the first point, okay? The first point, if you want to have a look at the slides, point number one is <clears throat> we have a big problem, okay? Do we have the slide before that that talks about uh, uh, the actual topic of part one? Mind your business. Do we have that, AV team? Or did we just skip that or I skip that? Thank you, sir. Let's give him a round of applause. He found it for me. <laughs> so we can move on to this. So it's called Mind Your Business, part one. All right. Number one, point number one about mind your own business. So we'll move to the, the next slide. Thank you, sir. Is we have a big problem. Point number one is that we believe the lies about money. Okay, now what I'm talking here, you may be sitting here going, well, you don't actually believe this and you've broken through. So I'm talking stereotypically and holistically, right? But one of the big problems is we believe the lies about money and this is what causes the problems. And there are uh, a lot of financial lies out there uh, that are opposite to the, what the Bible teaches, but Christians believe them. And so this is part of the problem. And worse yet, we then live under the bondage of those lies. And that's why that scripture sometimes relates that uh, we are subject to that feeling of bondage and can't do things that we want to do for God or do things for our family. Now, who, who here has children? Okay, how many here would like a better life for their kids? Right, obviously, right? An obvious question, right? And I think in life, we, we sometimes believe this though. The first one here, if you can see the thumbs up. Everyone give me a thum thumbs up. The first lie that I think that we believe about money is we believe this. I deserve a better life now. I deserve a better life now. And what that means is the problem is, is we have a need for instant gratification. I want the plasma screen TV now. I don't have money for it, but I want it now. So I'll put it on credit card. Cha-ching. Everyone say cha-ching. And we justify, don't we? But I really need that big plasma screen TV now because the one I've already got is two years old and this one's bigger. And, the, and they've got a discount on. But I haven't got money to pay for it, but I'll put it on the credit card because I'm saving money because I'm getting a discount. So the first lie that we believe is I deserve a better life now. Instant gratification. Generational blessing doesn't really work like that. It's more like a slow stew cooking, whereas, cha-ching, two-minute magic noodles. We want it now. Can I tell you, if you know that you're, you, you kind of succumb to that, that's something you want to deal with. I had to deal with that. Man, I want a thing straight away. Can I tell you, I got, I got $20,000 given to me because I had a car accident. This is before I was a Christian, right? I had a car accident, and when the tow truck came, he gave me the card of a lawyer. And I called the lawyer up and I said, yep, come in. Anyway, it took 18 months, but they gave me $20,000 I got from the insurance company, from the, the people who made the mistake on the road. $20,000. I mean, back then, that could have been a full deposit for a home. I could have got my first home. I was only like 19 at the time. I gave my life to Christ at 21. And so I got handed $20,000 in my bank account. Do you know what I did with that? <laughs> I went out and bought clothes. I looked really good for six months and then I put on weight and they didn't fit me. 
everyone say, silly boy. Silly boy. Unwise. I want it now. Now, now, now. Seems so good. It feels good. Now. Yeah. Second line that we believe about money. Is there are certain things that, you know, this is a lie that we believe. There are certain things I cannot be happy without. Meaning there are certain things I must have. If I don't have them, I'm not happy. If I don't have that latest iPhone that I saw, like my iPhone, the camera is just not quite as good. Like this new camera, I mean, it's, it's pixels are just way better. I, I, I've got to have that phone. So you know what? Even though my contracts, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a strategy, a way to get that latest iPhone because all my friends have one. I, I, I can't be happy until I have the latest this or the latest that. And it's, I need it versus I want it. We convince ourselves, I want it. We convince ourselves, I need it. But actually, we just want it. We don't really need it. Okay? Next one. I have to buy everything with borrowed money. I have to. Because I can't save. I can't hold off. Now, you may be sitting here, well, I have to do that if I'm going to buy a home. Well, I get that. But, you know, that's not bad debt. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. There's some strategies there that are good, but I have to buy everything with borrowed money. The credit crunch. I remember when Sarah and I were, uh, we got engaged and uh, we started saving for our, our, our wedding, our honeymoon. We we're also saving for our first house. In, we we're engaged for a year, so <laughs> it was a long time, but we got to work on all those things. But we had another couple that got engaged the same time as us. And can I tell you, I won't name them. I love them, bless them. They're not part of this church. They live on the Gold Coast now. Bless them. We love them. But I remember they came into church and we got engaged at the same time and they're just in brag mode. Well, can I just tell you, we're having our wedding reception at Versace on the Gold Coast. It's not just a five-star. It's a six-star hotel. Oh, wow. How do you pay for that? We put it on our credit card. You What? We put on that credit card. It's going to be the best wedding ever. Cool. And so where are you going for honeymoon? Well, we've just decided we're going to Hawaii. Really? Hawaii? Okay. So are your parents paying for that? How how are you going to? Oh, well, we put that on that credit card as well. We had another credit card to pay for our honeymoon. This young couple, after they came back from their honeymoon, were in debt of over $30,000 on a credit or two or three credit cards, high interest. Everyone say, silly. Silly. So we believe the lies. And, uh, you know, also we believe the lie, you know, that we have to have the car payment. You know, we, we, we have to buy a new car and we can't save up to buy maybe a second-hand car. And look, uh, I'm sitting here and I like nice cars. I've got a nice car. But I'm talking about principles that I started about 15 years ago. <laughs> uh, I've not always had a nice car. <laughs> uh, my first car was a Mitsubishi Sigma. Now, if you've got a Mitsubishi Sigma, I'm not saying it's not a bad car. <laughs> right? We used to call it Siggy, right? Because it actually smelt a little bit. 
I bought a second hand, not like it smelled like Siggy's, but that's why we call it Siggy. But it was a station wagon, wagon light blue, and I remember my first car um, I got for $500 from a car auction, right? And it lasted me like a good, a good year until I pulled up behind a police car on the Gold Coast one time, and then the engine just exploded because I forgot <laughs> to put water in the engine. That's a whole other story about stewardship, right? The point is, is that sometimes I think we're in a season in life where we look at all this Facebook advertising, all this advertising, and we want the nice car, we want the new car, we want the latest car, where actually if we had been trained up on generational blessing, we would have discerned that in the season right now, I shouldn't be buying the flashy new car or the nice new car that's going to cost me 15, 16, 22 grand and then have to get a private loan. I would be sensible, I would be wiser to get a car that maybe costs me $1,200, $1,500. These days, maybe $4,000. And I get a little bit of wise people who know what a good car looks like so I don't get ripped off. I get them around me and I just get that type of car. And then you might be saying, but sometimes that type of car, it transmission goes or, or you have problems with it because it's not a new car. I get that. But sometimes to pay to get something fixed is just two monthly payments of your brand new car. So there's nothing wrong in having nice things. It's just... Discern what season of life you're in and where are you on in the journey of creating a generational blessing? Come on. So there's these lies. That's point number one. Everyone say, big problem that God wants to solve. Number two. Here we go. Number two. Thank you, sir. A key thought here that God has given you a business. What? Huh? What are you talking about? Do I mean an actual business business? No. I mean, if you're in business, that's great. God's given you a business. Adam and Sarah just started a brand new recruitment business. Let's give them a round of applause and congratulate them. It's exciting for them and their family. So if you're into business or one day you want to start a business, great. We, we are cheerleaders of that, and that's cool. If you're not into business, if you have something else in the marketplace, we're cheerleaders of that. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about that your life... Okay, and your finances and your world, God wants you to be a good steward and a manager of it. And he wants to see what do you do with it. And he wants to see, do you do well with it? Are you faithful with a little? Because he wants to give you more. He is interested in how you manage your world, how you manage your life. And a big part of that is how do you manage your finances? Do you take stock? Do you budget? Do you plan? Do you have an understanding about your cash flow? God wants to teach you these things. He doesn't want you to stay in the place of ignorancy. He doesn't want you to stay in the place of defeat. He wants you to wise up. Because he loves you. Can I tell you, I'm standing here before you, and my dad never taught me anything about money. I remember thinking, I was around 18, and my finances were, were just horrible. And I remember sitting there feeling sorry for myself, going, it's my dad's fault. He never taught me how to manage my finances. I am in this place where I am at such a young age because my dad did not man up and teach me what a father should. And then God got a hold of me. And he said, no, it's actually your responsibility. Now, can I tell you, I think as parents and I think as dads and, and, and as mums, we should teach our children how to steward their finances and how to relate to finances in the biblical way. But you may be here and you don't come from a, a family or from a, a parent lineage that was raised in the things of God. And so maybe your parents were clueless about how to really manage finances as well. And maybe they never pass anything on to you. Can I say to you, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't stay in the pity party. Wise up. Take responsibility. Get a hold of God's word. And God will teach you how to manage your life. 
And so when we read in the parable of Jesus, there's two there. Luke, uh, I'm not going to give you the scriptures because it's, they're long stories, and I just want to give you the scriptures that you can refer to. So in Luke 16, 1 to 13, if you want to write that down, there's a whole parable there about the shrewd manager. And it's talking about, uh, you know, the manager being shrewd, and it's talking about, you know, how he deals with people and how people were indebted to him and his heart and then how he was indebted to other people. And, and it's a really convicting uh, I suppose, analogy or a story to talk about stewardship and how we, should, how we should take responsibility. The second parable in Matthew 25, 14 to 30 is about the stewards and it talks about the talents and what people do with the talents that they've been given. And that God is really interested that when someone multiplies something that they've been given, when they actually bring a fruitful effect from it, when they manage it well, when they steward it well, when they're proactive with it, when they actually take responsibility for it and they bring an increase, then God actually blesses them and gives them more because He's like, well, you've been faithful with that. You've been faithful with what I've entrusted. Now I'm going to give you more. And there's three examples of that. And then there's one person who isn't faithful, just sits on it, does nothing with it, says, well, you know, you're, you're a, a wicked man. It kind of makes out that God isn't really a loving person who doesn't really care about their interest. So has a whole wrong perception of God and God's word and therefore just is lazy with their finances and uses their wrong perception of how they see God as the excuse for why they're not going to do anything and why they're not going to take responsibility. And God addresses that and says, you wicked and lazy servant. Ouch! Ouch. But you know what? God is saying to you today, right now, He's saying, I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Wherever your finances are at, I want to help you to pick up where you're at and to start running forward and to get victory. God is saying, I love you so much. I don't want you to remain where you are. I want to help you. And so God wants to see people take a hold of this. And know this teaching series, we're going to look at all these different principles. And so the basic premise of these two analogies or two parables in the New Testament, the basic premise here is that God owns it all. That's it, basic premise there. God owns it all. And so my business, when God's given you a business, what we're saying is your business is to manage His assets. Come on now, that's what it means that you have been given a business by God. You've been given a life, you've been given opportunities, you've been given gifts, you've been given finances, maybe there's a job that you have, it could be part-time, whatever. Whatever it is right now that you have, it's all God's. That's, that's the principle that the Bible teaches us, that everything that we have right now is actually God's. It's not ours, it's God's. Come on now. And we're called to steward it, we're called to be responsible with it. And if we're faithful with that, not if we're perfect, we can make mistakes, but if we're consistent in trying to work with God, to grow, to humble ourselves, to not just put our head under the pillow and just hope it would disappear and run away. No, but if we take responsibility, we grow in understanding, we grow in wisdom, which means applied knowledge, and we start to see things turn around, then God will see that, and then He'll give you more promises, the Bible. That my business is to manage His assets. Your business is to manage God's assets. It's God's. He owns it all. And if I do it well, he will give me more. If I do it poorly, he will take away what I have. It's a very sobering principle, but can I tell you, it should motivate you. Can I tell you, in my moment of defeat, when I became a Christian and I read this, it didn't demotivate me. This scripture is not 
is not here to demotivate you. It's designed to motivate you. In the end, it's about how we respond. If you ever get to the place where you see your finances as God's business, it will radically change the way you handle your money. And can I tell you, when I embraced the identity that I'm a steward of what God's given me, that it's not mine, it's God's, when I took on that identity, there was a sense of, I want to do well for God. I want to steward well. And I knew I needed wisdom. And it really shifted something on the inside of me. Maybe that's a transition that you need to go through. And if you need to go through it, you just cry out to God and you ask Him to help you. You know, what's interesting when we talk about this analogy of business, why do the majority of businesses fail? Does anyone know? Siri's just trying to give me the answer right now. No, Siri, I wasn't asking you. <laughs> it says here, you're asking me, Brad? Question mark. No, Siri, I'm not asking you. I'm asking the congregation. <laughs> Artificial intelligence, I'll tell you what, you have to tell it to back down sometimes. It tries to intrude itself. Okay. Well, there's a quote from uh, J.C. Penney. Let me read this out to you. Give me a store clerk with a goal, and I will give you a person who will change the world. But give me a person without a goal, and I'll show you a store clerk. What does that mean? It's that if you just kind of doing what you're doing because you're just doing it to kill time if you're in your job just to kind of you know just do your job and you're earning money and you know then you spend your money and then you go back and you earn your money and then you just spend your money you just got no vision you got no goal beyond the immediacy of what god's given you now it's because you believe it's your own and you can do whatever you want with it uh-uh it's not yours it's god's you're managing it. Come on now. You're called to steward it. So if you're a manager and a steward, you will have an insight that what I have been given right now, I need to have a plan. I need to have a goal. I need to have a vision for what I want to do with it. What's my next step? And once I get there, then what's my next step? So God has given you a business. And God owns it all. Can I hear an amen to that? And so if we look at Proverbs, let's look at the next slide, Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent, the plans, the plans. We need to have plans around our money. We need to have an idea, an understanding, a strategy. We're stewarding our finances. The provision that God's given us right now. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. When you're faithful with a little... And you have to start being faithful. You have to plan to be faithful. You have to have a strategy. You have to have an understanding. You don't just go from day to day, week to week, not thinking about it. No, you've got a plan. You've got a budget. You've got an idea about what your responsibilities are. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. What's haste? Just making quick decisions. Walk in the petrol station. Cha-ching, $30, and I'll have the candy bar, and I'll have the Coke, and I'll have the magazine. Instant gratification. Ooh-hoo, yeah. It feels so good, credit card, cha-ching. But if you have a plan, no, I, I, I need to buy the petrol, but I'm going to say no to the candy bar. I'm going to say no to the Coke. I'm going to say no to the magazine, because that's another $12. 
And that $12 is not going to go to Coke, to whatever magazine you're into, and to the candy bar store. No, it's going to go into my savings account. Because I want to save some money. Because I want to invest that money. Or I want to save some money because I want to buy two more books on how to get better in managing my time. Because if I can manage my time better, then I can be better at work. And if I can be better at work, then God will honor that and I might get a promotion. Everyone say wisdom. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste. Quick decisions, unplanned, rush, rush, rush. Just the moment, how good it feels, leads to poverty. Point number three. What is your personal business plan? Another way of saying that is, what is your personal stewardship plan? Did you know that you are working someone's business plan? Think about this. You're either working God's business plan because you have the understanding that it's not yours and that you're stewarding God's business. Or if you don't have a plan, then you're working your banker's plan, your salesman's plan, your credit card company's plan. You're working their plan because they're sitting in rooms coming up with strategies around how if they just send you a credit card randomly and you take it and you start charging stuff on it at a high interest rate at 17.5%, that at the end of the day, as long as a million people around the world do that, they're going to make another $15 million profit by the end of 2018. So if you don't have a plan of what you're going to do with your finances, can I get you to open your mind and understand that you're actually just following someone else's plan? You just don't realize it. See, do you know that there are food distribution specialists who come up with those point-of-sale things? So when you go to go chiching with the petrol for $30 at the counter, they are specifically positioned right there with a nice little sign. Take a break. Take a kick there's millions of dollars put in strategies, all those things, just to get you to spend the extra $5, the $6, because they wanted to go in their bank account across millions of people, rather than going in your sole bank account that over time will build a strategy to invest in something that will make you more money or help you to develop yourself that will help you to make more money because God is your Father and He wants to help you to build a blessing and He wants you to be faithful because then He can give you more. So you need to find your plan and you need to work your plan. Two steps. Get a plan and work it. Get a plan and work it. Get a plan and work it. Let's have a bit of attitude. Get a plan and work it. Get a plan and work it. You need to get a plan and then you're going to work it, right? If you don't work your plan, you'll work someone else's plan. So what is your vision? What's your goal? And the last point here, debt is not a sin, but bad debt is dangerous. Okay? Debt's not great. Debt's not great. There's good debt, but most debt is bad. But debt overall is not great. In fact, if you have good debt, you still should have a plan to get out of it eventually. Come on now. Let me tell you, when I'm asking this question, what's your vision? What's your goal? I'll quickly share our story. So, you know, before I knew Jesus... Uh, I was in a shambles in all areas, uh, but one of them was my finances. And uh, I didn't pay my bills. I, you know, there were all crazy things going on. Like, you know, 
I remember one time, I'm, I'm, I don't have enough money to get petrol. My car's run out of petrol. I'm just trying to pull up the car seats to find like 20 cents here and 20 cents there. Like, and I'm just looking at myself going, what am I doing? Like, this is just, this is bad. And, and uh, I had file cabinets. I had uh, mobile phone bills. I had electricity bills. I had personal loans. I had uh, hex debt. I had all this debt. And uh, my mindset was this. I cannot manage my finances. That's what I believed. I believed that I could not manage my finances, that I was just hopeless when it came to managing money. That was the, the real, that, that was the, the diagnosis of my soul in terms of finances. And then I got saved. I gave my life to Christ. And I didn't straight away. It took convincing. I need to be convinced to start tithing. It took six months. So I was a Christian and then I started tithing. I started following those principles that my local church uh, taught me. And it was really the voice of God that said to me, you know what? Test me in this because my word says to test me in this and see what I will do. And I said, all right, all right I'm going to give it a go. I didn't want to do it. Okay. Uh, I mean, when you're struggling managing your own finances, the last thing you want to do is give it away. <laughs> right? Because you don't think you have enough. <laughs> So it's a, it, it, if it's a war, and if you're sitting here battling that war, look, I get that. But you've got to ask God to speak to you because I'm telling you, uh, it, it, it's part of the breakthrough. Because you've got to start in your headspace and you've got to start in your identity. You've got to start in how you relate to God and how you, you've got to put your trust in God, not in money. And so tithing is critical to get the right positioning of God before money. And so I started uh, to tithe. But uh, not only did that take my stewardship mentality to the next level, but it also, because I was putting my trust in God, with the other 90%, I wanted to be faithful with that. So what I did was, because I was studying full-time, um, and I wasn't working uh, a lot, I was a student, you know, it was tight, it was difficult. So I invited a mentor into my life, and uh, his name's Dave, and uh, I still uh, message him uh, regularly because I thank him for the, for the principles that he gave me. But he sat me down, he was a man of God in our church, he was a mentor, I actually lived with him and his wife for about six months because it was a strategy to help me to save money as well. And he opened the, the doors of his house to me. And so he taught me to tithe 10%, save 10%, and when the timing is right, invest 10% and live off the 70% and just start to build that. And I said to him, well, well I've crunched the numbers. I can tithe 10% and I can save 10%, but... I can't really invest 10% because then that's eating into the basic thing. And he said, well, that's okay. Just start with tithing 10% and save 10%. And then eventually what happened, because I wasn't really into investing, I mean, the word investing freaked me out. Because it's like, that's for big people. That's for responsible people. That's for people who wear ties. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not really into that. He said, once you can then put away that other 10%, don't call it investing, just call it extra savings. So save 20%, tie 10%, and eventually start getting books and learning how to invest. Get your head around property, get your head around shares, get your head around superannuation. Start to learn these things, start to get around people, so that when you start saving a little bit money, you can start doing things with it. And so I'm just explaining the journey. This was kind of like the plan as it started to roll down. So he gave me ideas. He gave me a strategy. He gave me this routine, tie 10%, save 10%, invest 10%, and live off the rest. So I started saving money for the first time in my life. And can I tell you, it created a shift because I was feeling less defeated and was I feeling more victorious. And I'm thinking, I'm actually telling money where it's going. It's not telling me. I'm taking dominion of it. 
And can I tell you, don't underestimate that shift. You may be 16 years of age. You may be 76 years of age. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are. Privately in your private world, you'll know where you're really at and how defeated or victorious you feel when it comes to relating to money. But don't shy away from it. Deal with it. And so one of the strategies then was to pay off the debt. And I, I started paying the bills and I started paying the loans back. I remember the time when I got to call the bank and to say, oh, hi, my credit card's paid off, so I'd like to cancel. <laughs> cancel that credit card. And then they said, oh, well, one moment, please. I'll put you through to our cancellations department. I'm like, okay. Little did I know the cancellation department was actually the very well-trained sales department who were trying to sell you the idea of not canceling your credit card. And what I found out, and if you try and do this, if you try to cancel a credit card at a bank, can I tell you, they will make it very difficult for you because they've got policies and procedures to do that. They will tell you you can't cancel it over the phone. You have to go to your actual local branch. And you have to do that during work hours. It took six weeks for me to cancel my credit card. And in that six weeks, I had two credit cards, new ones, sent to me from the same bank going, here's a new credit card with a better interest rate. <laughs> Trying to lure me back in. Come on, boy. You don't want to really leave credit land. You've been swimming in it for so long. It's been so fun. Come back. Come on, boy. Come back. And Jesus said, you cut that fishing line, brother. You cut that debt. And so, eventually, it took a while, after Sarah and I were married and we came back from a honeymoon and we were aggressive with other credit cards, we're credit card debt, we're credit card free. We don't have credit cards. Now, you may be sitting here going, well, that's good for you because, you know, you've got a good job. And just by, just, just so everyone's clear, because you may be here for the first time, uh, I don't get an income from the church. The church is not our, our source of living, okay? Our source of living is our business. But how we've been able to get to this place about having no credit cards is because we had a plan, and it's been 15 years that that plan's been running for. I'm not talking about the fruit that's here that just came instantly. It was a disciplined plan. We got mentors, we got input. Can I tell you, we're reaping the rewards now because we're following these principles. It's nothing that we thought up ourselves. We just got humble enough and hungry enough to go, God, we need help. And God gave us teaching. We got mentors aside and we've just been doing it. And sometimes we've tripped up. I mean, sometimes we, we put things on the credit card and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't really need it, but I wanted it. And so we're human, and that's okay. But can I tell you, I'll, there's hope in this. I want you to be filled with hope that God, when you partner with Him, He can help you to get out of debt, and He can help you to get financial uh, victory in your life. Amen. And so then uh, we, we, we got engaged. We, uh, we were engaged for a year, and we're saving for our... our we paid for most of our wedding and our honeymoon, uh, we, we, we had a little bit of import from the different parents, but, uh, you know, we, we paid for most of it. And then we also used that time to pay for uh, the deposit of our first house. And it was a miraculous season, but it was set up because of the principles that we've been following. I remember when, when uh, we first got engaged, I said to Sarah, um, Sarah, for those of you who don't know, I actually call Sarah, Sarah, I call Sarah Sarah. I actually call her Sarah Bear. All right, there you go. There's an intimate note for you. Sarah Bear. Everyone say, oh. 
never having, now you know, we call her Sarah, Sarah. And so I said, hey, Sarah, now that we've engaged, um, even though oh, we're not married, but we should probably talk about our finances, you know, what your thoughts are, what my thoughts are. We should probably at least start to talk about some strategies. So, so, so Sarah, what do you do with your lunch every day? Do you, do you, do you buy your lunch at work every day? And she said, yeah. I said, okay, so how much is your lunch? So about ten dollars, you know, with a drink. So you spend fifty dollars a week on your lunch. Is that right? She said, "Yeah." She worked at a place called well, I won't tell you what it was called, but it was a, like a finance place, and she was, you know, in a very, you know, serious kind of role, PA to the executive, and it was all very. But you know, she took a lunch break, and she always had the place where she went to, and there was some nice little options there, and she'd always buy a lunch, fifty dollars a week. I said, "But hang on, sir, let's just take a step back," because at that time I thought, you know. I'm, I, I kind of know some of these principles. <laughs> Might have to teach this young kid a few things. <laughs> I said, so, you live with your parents, right? Yes. They don't charge you board, right? No. They get groceries every week. Yes. Is there food in the fridge that you could create a pack lunch and take it to work with you? Yes. Would they charge you for that? No. So, right there, you could save $50 a week. Yes. Let's do it. She said, okay. Right? She didn't like the idea, but someone times 50 by 52. Someone quickly do it for me. So for tw $2,600. $2,600. $2,600 in one year. That paid for a honeymoon! <laughs> right? Because, well, some of our honeymoon. I think it was flights and accommodation. We had to play with a couple other things. Right? Can you see what I'm talking about? Right? Just a little tactic like that. In terms of planning and sticking to it. It's funny, I just shared that and then I saw a couple of eyeballs really light up like $2,600. Yeah. Rather than going for the, the spring roll and the, the green chicken curry and your Coke Zero. But just packing a ham and cheese sandwich every day. I know it's not as flash, but $2,600 at the end of 52 weeks is pretty flash. Wisdom. And so then we got a house, and you know, in that season, with the house, we, we, we gained equity in that house. We were able to use the house then to invest in another property, and that gained. And then we started aggressively paying down. Then we bought our principal home where we live now, and then we started aggressively paying that down. We worked hard, we saved money, uh, we worked hard, we saved money, we worked hard, we saved money, we invested some money in shares, we invested some in our super, we renovated our house, we worked hard, we saved some money, and it was all a plan, and God, we were praying over it, we are talking to God, we had a plan. Then we invited a financial strategist, I mean, the idea of having a financial strategist, I mean, like, that's for people who wear ties, right? But it had built that place where, okay, we bought a financial strategist in place, and now he looked at our good debt. So we borrowed money to buy property, but we sh shred our credit cards. We shred our personal loans. We got rid of our car loan. We paid our car off. Come on now. We got rid of all the bad debt, and then we used the good debt to create leverage for us to make more finances, and we invested. Now, can I tell you, I'm talking about a 15 to 18-year journey here. This doesn't happen in one year. Come on now. And that's why there's a temptation to have a quick win, to have the plasma screen TV. 
Now, let me, let me share this with you. Do you know that in Australia, the, the, the saturation of places like... Um, what's it? Someone give me a brand of store that sells plasma screen TVs. JV Hi-Fi. Okay, good. Well, there are m- most shopping centers. But can I tell you, what are the ones like Harvey Norman? Let's go Harvey. Everyone say Harvey Norman. Everyone knows Harvey Norman, right? Okay, it's not usually in a shopping center. The saturation of Harvey Normans, watch this, are not in the most wealthiest places in Australia. They're actually in the lower socioeconomic areas in Australia. Now, you've got to catch this. The reason why they're there and not in the places where people have lots of money is because lots and lots, did I say lots? I sound like Donald Trump now, don't I? <laughs> he says lots is a lot. Billions and billions <laughs> and billions. Uh, lots and lots, lots, uh, lots of research has gone into the fact that the money habits of people who are more in the lower socioeconomic zone in life tend to gravitate more to using their money to get quick instant gratification because they feel defeated in their identity. Therefore, they feel what's the point of being disciplined because they're less likely to have a plan. They're less likely to have a sense of, well, if I have a plan, it's actually going to work. And so they like the idea of taking the credit card and going, cha-ching, plus the screen TV, cha-ching, quick purchase, cha-ching, quick purchase. And they put it on a credit because it fills their homes with all this stuff that makes them feel like they're doing well in life, gives them a sense of status, but they're actually broke and they've borrowed more money than they're earning to pay for it. Everyone say, ouch. People who are good at stewarding their money have to be generous, but they also have to be quite stringent in what they do with their finances. They don't just throw it around. And so I want to encourage you to catch this. And so obviously part of our plan was also to be generous in giving to God and in giving into the house of God and giving into his, his kingdom every year. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into all the detail, but the last 12 months we've uh, had... The, the, the beautiful opportunity to invest into five people's education to help them in their life, to help them to, to do a diploma or to do whatever it is. And for us, that's being a blessing. And can I tell you, that's part of our plan. Our plan is, is to be generous, but to be generous within our means. Come on now. It's not, uh, you know, putting, giving away money that you're charging on your credit card. That's, 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 that's foolishness. Being generous with, with, within your means. But again, as you're faithful with the little God, gives you more. And so your life is much bigger than money. Jesus said you cannot love God and money. And so we need to be driven by God, not by dollars. We need to be driven with a vision, with a mindset that it is all God's and we're stewarding it for Him. And that we're faithful with a little God will give us more. And so one of the the parts of your vision should become debt-free, particularly free of bad debt. Not necessarily debt-free completely, because you might want to use good debt to create wealth or to create strategies. Now, when I say the word wealth, some of you may be sitting here going, well, that's not going to be me. Whoa, he used the W word, wealth. 
I had the same attitude almost 20 years ago. And it's not all about creating wealth, but it's about stewarding your finances. Can you imagine how different your life would be debt-free? Can you imagine? Siri's trying to talk to me again. How to be to be able to help a family member out, to be able to help your children out, to be debt-free. Can I tell you, what's your 20-year vision? What's your 15-year vision? Is this helping as we finish with point four? Let's go to the last point to finish off. Now, on my notes, on the slide it says, be smart with your money, point four. On my notes it says, be weird with your money, right? Because in a way, a lot of times the world says, what's normal is you have to pay debt. What's normal? What are the normal things? They're the normal things in life that we have to deal with, that everything that's normal, it's the crazy things we have to keep paying. We have this thing and that's normal. And so how to be weird with your money. Develop a cash flow plan, point number one. Find out where your money is going and decide where it really needs to go. So we're talking about a budget. Point number two, plan to lower overhead. What does that mean? Your problem will be debt a lot of the times. It's credit card debt, it's bad debt, it's the, the loan that you took out to get the fridge at Harvey Norman. It's the student debt. And so throughout this series, we're gonna talk about strategies of how to eliminate it, but you need to start at least thinking about it and planning it. You know, things like, I wanna pay this credit card off. I wanna get that loan down. You need to be able to attack it. And you have to first do that with a mindset that I'm gonna to start to do this. Number three, you wanna plan for downtimes. Millions of Australians have to put their, their car service on a credit card because they're not saving anything. And so it, when your car unexpectedly breaks down, you have to put it in a mechanic and it's not planned. Rather than you know putting $500 on your credit card, if you've got $2,000 saved because you've been diligently saving for a year, then those things don't have to put you in debt and you don't have to get stuck in the cycle of debt. Number four, develop an investment strategy. As in, okay, I'm going to start saving, I'm going to start to get emergency stuff in place, but then I'm going to start to use some of that to start to invest in things. And we know sometimes property is scary because it's getting more and more expensive, but a lot of the young people right now that I'm doing mentoring with, I'm encouraging them, will invest in some shares. There's so many apps right now out there where you can literally, I know, uh, Chris, do you mind if I share what the app that you use? So Chris has found this app, he can share this with you in his own time. He's found this app where whenever he makes a purchase, let's say he purchased a bottle of water, that say, uh, it's, let's say the bottle of water is, uh, bottle of water's a crazy expensive. Let's say the bottle of water is $3.50. He can put a little note in his app to say, of every, every $3.50 he spends, an extra dollar has to go out of the bank account into this, into this app, and it's for saving. So whenever he goes to make transactions, a percentage of that, and he dictates what it is, automatically goes and he doesn't even notice it. So when he's making purchases, everyday purchases, he's actually investing money in his bank account and that starts to incur interest and then he can start to invest that in, say, shares or super or whatever it is that he chooses to do that. He might want to invest it in a business course because he's an entrepreneur and he wants to launch a business. Come on! Number five, plan profit sharing. What do I mean by that? Profit sharing is knowing that if I believe that this isn't all mine, and it actually is all God's, then I need to share the profits. Come on now. Therefore, I need to give back to God. I need to tithe. 
And I don't need, my giving should not just be expressed in church. Come on. We don't talk about generosity just because that's what you do in church. Come on. Can I tell you? If you're really generous in church, that's great. But if you're generous in church and really not generous out there in life, well, that's not cool. If you're so tight that you can't shout someone some lunch every now and then, even though I've just told you don't buy lunch, but you, you, get, the, you get the picture, right? We've got to make sure that the teaching here in God's principles is not just about helping us to do church well, right, guys? But it's how do we do life the way God wants us to be? So when we talk about the principles of generosity here, it's not because it's just about you tithing. It's about being generous as a human being in a world where you're the light. Being generous. So knowing that if it is all God's to begin with, I don't own it, but I'm stewarding it, then if it's all God's, then I need to profit share. I need to actually give profits that is happening in my finances a percentage back to God. All right, I'm going to ask the music team to come. We're going to close. Has this helped anyone today? Awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to close in prayer. We're going to build on this next week. Hey, can I tell you, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to go real deep with strategies. We're going to go real deep with principles. I want to encourage you to come next Sunday. Let's build on this. Be here as much as you can for this teaching series because it's so important. But as we just position ourselves to respond, I want you to think about where, you're, where you are right now. Maybe you're feeling really motivated. Maybe you're feeling really scared. Maybe you're feeling concerned about your finances. I think for many Christians, we overlook this part of our life too much. We hide under the pillow. We don't talk about it. We don't even talk to God about it. But maybe you're here today and you're saying to yourself, I need to make a change. I need to make a shift. That if that's you, I just want you simply just to close your eyes and say, God, I invite you into my financial world. Just do that privately. We don't need people raise hands. I don't feel to do an altar call. Just invite Jesus into your financial world. Say, God, today I recognize that you, you're my source. It's all yours. Everything I have is yours, God. And from today onwards, God, I want to recognize, I want you to put you in that place afresh. And because of that, today I declare, God, I am a steward of your finances. And I believe if you do that, the Holy Spirit will, the Holy Spirit will bring a shift in your thinking and your identity. And where you may be concerned, where maybe even you feel fear, God is going to shift you into a place of, you know what? I'm called to take dominion. And I'm going to start to make a decision to change. But as everyone's just kind of closing their eyes and talking to God, let's talk about another kind of debt. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
The Bible says that the way that this world lives, it creates a debt, and that debt is death. It's death to the soul. It's cancer of the soul, unforgiveness and betrayal and hurt and disappointment. It creates a debt that in our own power we cannot remove. But that God has given us a gift, an eternal gift, and His name is Jesus. And because He shed His blood, because He was perfect in character, He, the Bible says, was without sin. He was God and He was man. He was God in flesh. And He came to this world and He walked through life without sin. And then He paid the ultimate price. He He shed his blood, he broke his body, he gave up his life to take on the debt of the world, to take on the price of sin. And he paid it. He paid that price by dying on the cross. And the Bible says that he rose again on the third day and he conquered that debt. And simply the Bible says that if you want your soul debt, if you want your sin, wiped clean all you have to do is receive Jesus Christ and so I want to encourage you if you're here today and you know maybe there's stuff that's gone on in your life that you've sinned against people you've sinned against God then I want to encourage you that if you receive Christ into your heart that that debt of sin will be wiped free and you'll be set free and everything on the inside will become clean because of what Jesus has done. That's all you have to do. So as I look around, as everyone's got their head bowed, eyes closed, just raise your hand if you want me to pray for you, to pray to receive Christ. Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone else as I look around? Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. I saw that hand. I I know who you are. I'm going to pray for you right now. Just repeat after me. I'm going to have the whole church repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that as I receive you today, that all my sin will be forgiven. My debt will be gone because you forgive me. I turn away from my old life and I invite you, Jesus, to create a brand new life in me. Set me free today. Make me brand new. Save me. Amen. Let's give that person some encouragement. I know who they are. I'll get them connected to Chris, our new person's leader. Well, let's stand and let's just give a praise to God as we finish. Come on, let's give him some praise. We're not going to sing a song. We're going to close. Now, for those of you who know, we usually finish around quarter to 12. I know I've gone slightly over. And uh, for those of you who have to go, uh, that's cool. But we want to invite you to stay back and have lunch with us. We've got complimentary pizza. And next Sunday, we're going to build on this. And uh, we're going to go into some strategies. If you need prayer for anything, it could be anything at all, healing on your body, or maybe you want specific prayer to do with your finances, I want to encourage you to come to the front and we'll have people here that can pray for you.
have a great time in the cafe. We'll all connect. It's time for the Open Up the Cafe. Bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. And we'll see you next week for part two. Amen. Thank you.